0: Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we are going to be talking about healthy grieving today. Uh, And I know it's so important for people who've had a loss to think about themselves and how they can deal with it and health. And we've got a wonderful expert today to help us.
1: Dr. David Zuniga. He is our guest. And David, we first... Found out about you because you did a wonderful podcast for ADAC, the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors. David has a Master's in Buddhism from Harvard University. He is a licensed psychologist also in private practice in Austin, Texas. He is a former faculty member at the University of Texas Anderson Cancer Center. He is an ordained Zen Buddhist priest and was ordained in South Korea, which I find fascinating. Welcome to our show, Dr. David Zuniga.
0: Hello.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Dave,
0: tell us, i got to know, how did you happen to get ordained in South Korea?
2: Uh, Well, part of it started because I went to Harvard Divinity School, studied comparative religion, and uh, made friends with many monks and nuns from Asia. And even as a child, kind of like we were talking about before the show formally began, I've always been interested in the question of suffering and the transformation of suffering. And and I do see both as a Zen priest and as a psychologist, that being the essence of my work.
1: I wanted to know how being a Buddhist impacts the way that you help clients heal and that you help people that have had a loss.
2: Well, one way it definitely impacts me and I think as clinicians, it's really important to remember is the idea of self care. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing grief work is supremely important. Um, We all, sooner or later, will lose people we love. We're all, as the historical Buddha said, of the nature to die. And to do this kind of work, it's supremely rewarding, but it is very, very challenging. Uh, And as busy clinicians, you know, there's so many things, whatever your clinical setting is, uh, that, it, you know, draw upon your time. So you always want to be present. You always want to have your best clinical face on. You always want to be there for your clients. So self-care is supremely important. So I think one way being a Buddhist priest is just helpful for me is just in the area of self-care, keeping myself grounded so I can do the kind of work in the way that I want to do it. Um, and in terms of helping other people, there's certainly a lot a lot of, I think, rich philosophical ideas related to Buddhism and grieving. I think the single biggest thing is the idea of mindfulness itself, being present so that hopefully I can listen in a deep, engaged, compassionate way. And it's not so much And I know you all know this too, but it's not so much me kind of telling the client what to do or believe, but kind of listening deeply and compassionately um, so that they can find their own skillful way in the world based on their own unique goals, values, and beliefs. It's hard to be present, yeah, just in general in our society. Our society isn't always set up to be present. Um, And there's always stuff that's kind of vying for our psychological real estate. But also I will say, in the area of grief and loss as clinicians, um, we all lose people we love. This This stuff touches all of us and it's easy to get lost in transference and counter transference and the kind of sheer sadness of the work if you're not careful. So one of the many fruits of mindfulness is I think it can be a call to always bring ourselves back, bring ourselves back.
0: How are you gonna bring me back?
2: First way, is um, just kind of thinking conceptually about grief, which is I kind of think of grief work or just healing in general. Um, And I don't want to be too linear or sequential about this, but I do think there are kind of tasks or phases in the grieving process and, and understanding that can be helpful for us all. The first thing is when you lose somebody you love, A family member, a friend, pets, losing pets can be very traumatic and hard as well. There are many kinds of loss. The first thing is when we have a seminal loss in our lives, I think it's kind of shocking to us. It's almost kind of trippy. Um, It's almost like we have to kind of reorient ourselves to reality. Um, Joan Didion wrote a great book about when her husband died, The Year of Magical Thinking. And in it, she talks about how she would almost forget that her husband had died, and then she would almost have to re-remember it. Like she would make ex- coffee for both of them, or she'd set out his slippers, and then she'd have to re-remember that he had died. And that itself was very painful, because he was so intimately and intricately woven into her life. And and I think whenever we lose somebody we love, there is a period of just raw shock where we're kind of, yeah, learning to integrate uh, this seminal change back into our lives. And after that, and it's not it's not a sequential process. You know, there's kind of steps forward and backward. But often, kind of the next phase that's generally experienced is just the raw processing of the emotions sadness, fear, anger. Um, Sometimes we might feel joy and then we feel like guilty that we feel joy, although we don't need to feel guilty, our loved one would want us to be happy, but just the raw work of working through those emotions. And then I think beyond that, and and something that we often don't talk about in our society is that um, we kind of, as hard as it can be, as complicated and daunting as it may seem, we need to kind of prepare ourselves for the next phase of our life and some of that is just raw logistics um like you know maybe i'll use the example of if you're a married couple maybe your spouse was the technology person or the bill payer or the cook you know what uh, we all have rules in our relationship and just the raw logistics and adapting in new ways um to the kind of traumatic Hard, hard, hard new normal is part of the process, and then the emotional steps. Um, for example, if you're married, do you date again? What does that look like? Um, you know, how do you plan for retirement? You know, just all these kind of things.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um,
2: the other thing I would say about grieving on a very practical note, so that's kind of the conceptualization piece, and I'll draw a little bit but from Buddhism but kind of merge it with psychology, which is to say in Buddhism, and kind of Buddhist conceptualization, we use the term the three jewels and Mm -hmm. those are, Yeah, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Um, Buddha just means teacher, and we all have teachers, myself included. Um, It may or may not be a spiritual teacher, friends, family members, group therapy, um, you know, reading somebody like Albert Einstein or Martin Luther King or Maya Angelou, but we all, no matter who we are, need teachers and guides along the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, when we say Dharma in Buddhism, Dharma means kind of two things, really. It means philosophy, and then it also means practices. And so you, you may be religious, you might not be religious, but we all need some kind of, I think, philosophical template by which we understand the world, by which we make sense of the kind of sometimes seeming chaos of the universe. And then even more important than those kind of ideas, those core beliefs, is the practices we do. Um, Beliefs, core beliefs, those kind of things are very good, but we all, no matter who we are, we need some kind of practices that make our beliefs a lived experiential reality. And and that's an extremely important thing too. Maybe it's meditation, maybe it's contemplative prayer, maybe it's yoga. Um, They're not mutually exclusive. I encourage more than one practice, you know, but things that make your beliefs a lived embodied experiential reality. Sangha is the Buddhist term for community, and in what we call the Pali Canon, which is kind of the Old Testament of Buddhism, uh, the Buddha, in five different places in the, the Pali Canon, said that the Sangha was actually the most important part of the spiritual path. The community itself is the most important part of the path. Now, community can mean a lot of different things. It could be your family. It could be group therapy. It could be a running club, a book club you know, church, uh, contemplative prayer. Um, it could be all kinds of things, you know, a, a music group or something that you play with. Um, but we all need support. We all need uh, community. We and it's
1: interesting care. because I just went to a very large trauma conference in midtown Manhattan and they had a lot of researchers there. And they stood up and said that they found that the number one thing that helps people after tra- after losses is peer-to-peer support. Absolutely. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It doesn't matter in what form, like you're saying, getting together with community in some form or another.
2: Absolutely. And a challenge is one, we live in, in increasingly busy times. Uh, and two, we can be deniers of death in our society. You know, the one universality of human existence is that we're all mortal beings, all the world's religions teach this. Uh, And in fact, even like if we use religion as an example, I would argue that all the world's religious teachers or teachings put death at the central part of it. Uh, Like in Christianity, for example, the story of the Passion, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus on the cross, that's the central, some of the central teachings of the New Testament. And I think that's true of all religions.
0: Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, right? Right. So if you look at those three areas, First of all, get yourself a teacher or guides, maybe one of the things you wanna do. You may wanna pick something out of what we're saying today and not feel like you have to work on everyone. So I'm gonna say this and then you, you can re So the Dharma would be the practices that you might do, which might just be listening to a song, walking in nature, doing some art, learning exercise, meditation, and then the Sangha, which is community. And uh, that's so important. Look at what your community is that you've got now and try to find the people that are going to be good grief support. Not everybody's good grief support.
1: I hear a lot of people saying, and I certainly felt like this after my 17-year-old brother was killed, um, What I I hear people saying, you know, I'm just suffering so much. Yeah. I I just, I'm really suffering. What would be your response? First thing
2: I would say is, please, as much as you can, be compassionate to yourself. you know, grief can be exhausting. It can transform every part of our lives. And so as much as you can, please seek out support, get good help. Um, we all need support in these kind of circumstances, no matter who we are. Death and grief make beginners of us all. We all need support. Even if we do this work professionally, I mean, all of my career in one way or another, pretty much has been an end of life care and, uh, you know, on a personal note, my mom has Alzheimer's and uh, I have another family member in, in hospice right now. Mm-hmm. These are challenges for us all. And, and that doesn't make you weak. It actually means you're kind of insightful and authentic. We all need support. And actually, if you look at spiritual teachers uh, as one example, you know, um, the Buddha needed support. He, the Buddha said flat out that community was the most important part of the spiritual t- path. In Christianity, uh, Jesus, as they say in Christianity, cried in, Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, even on the cross. He asked for, you know, he said that he felt forsaken. Uh, now he also felt, you know, found transformation, but um, we all have difficulty in our lives and we all need support in our lives. And that doesn't make you weak or needy. It actually just means you're human and that you're insightful. One of the reasons I love doing this work, and I'm sure it's true for all of you as well, is that um, yes, we're mortal beings, but also the fact that we, our lives are finite makes us ask what, what are the most important things in our lives? What are our values? What are our goals? What are our hopes and dreams? It helps us to live mindfully.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I love that, David. So, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? How do they find you?
2: Sure. I'm probably the best way is uh, just my website, which is um, www, and then it's all one word, uh, dr for doctor, dr David Zuniga, Z U N I G A, dr David Zuniga, all one word dot com. That's a great way to reach me. Thank you.
0: And are you doing things online? I do.
2: Well, uh, I do stuff like this. uh, But then I do a lot of like social justice work, cultural diversity work in the community as well. Yeah, sometimes academic conferences, that kind of stuff.
0: I love it. All right. Well, thank you again for being on our show today and for all the good work you're doing. Thank you all as well. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, David. Thanks for all that you're doing, like my mom said, to bring hope after loss to people. Thank you. Thank you, my friends.
0: And thanks everyone for listening to the show today. And Heidi and I want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless.
1: I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com
0: and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week we another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.